0: Hi Pompey fans, and was Pure Forecast episode 134. Well, still no wins in 2022, but new players signing along the horizon. Joining the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie?
2: I'm not so bad here, thank you. Yeah, randomly stuck inside of a head cold, but I'm still here to talk about Pompey a bit because there's, surprisingly, a lot's happened. I feel like it's been a, a rush. There was a month of nothing and now we have Two games and transfer news to talk about now, and uh, and some something actually happening rather than just a uh, little gossiping. So it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. It's one of those things that you know things buses always come at once. Or whatever those phrases are, I couldn't think of a better one off the top of my head. But we've got players out. We wanted to get out last week. Players in, new striker, new centre back. But before we get into that, are you going to be well enough to come to uh, to come to Newcastle at the weekend, Fred? You need you to rest up. I don't even know why you sat here doing the, the podcast. You should be. In bed with the Lemsip, right?
2: Hey, well, I should be, yeah. And I've got to know this shit tomorrow. But you know, you just have to you have to do what you have to do sometimes, don't you?
0: There you go. That's passion. It's passion there for the listeners there. Andy's not here today, so it's just me and Fred going through this. So expect a lot of me and you talking. But right, let's get started on what we're gonna do. First of all, we're going to review the game against MK Dons. Full on from that, we're gonna talk about the really exciting nil-nil draw against AFC Wimbledon and then we put a question out to you guys because players are coming in players are leaving but what we want to know is who do you think Pompey should sign and what positions do Pompey need to strengthen and thanks again for everyone who messaged in it's really appreciated then we spoke to Glenn from the Sky Blues Fan TV and he gave us the lowdown on Pompey's new striker and finally Freddie we're going to preview the game Against our most beloved club in the Northeast, Sunderland. Right. Let's get going on it then. MK Dons, we're both there at the game. You know, you thought it'd be great to drink some beers, then smash a tequila before. So that one's out to you. Uh, Luke, that, that, who's listening. That,
2: was, that, that was forced. It was, uh, wasn't it, two tequilas at the Sambuca? I swear yeah. I had three of them, which is not the best of ideas. And the and the stronger beer was on draft, so I don't think that was a good idea either. <laughs> but I was able to piece, I was able to piece together some of the game when I was there and afterwards. So don't worry, I'm not I'm not a passenger.
0: Exactly. And Luke, if you want the video of Freddie doing the shot, please let us know. Hit me up at PO Forecast because he doesn't want me to post it online. But you know, you can have it. You donated a bit of money onto the uh, buy me a coffee thing on the basis that Freddie had a tequila. So we've come through with our promises, haven't we, Fred? You you, looked, you really enjoyed that
2: one. Uh, y- yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's about what he's going to say because he definitely didn't if you see the video. But So we started the game there. I thought it was always going to be a tricky test, as we said, against MK. Overall, though, Freddie, I think we played fairly well apart from Pompey just not taking their chances in this game at all.
2: How many times have you said that this season? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, it was strange that there were, boos, there were boos at the end of the game or whatever because I think uh, for, for the key word being most of the game, I thought Portsmouth did reasonably well. Um, some of the chances they had were quite golden opportunity. Ogilvy missing that sitter in the sixth minute was <laughs> quite galling. Um, but yeah, Pompey did fairly well with uh, MK's style of play. They they didn't really give a... Pompey didn't care that they didn't have any possession. They pressed high when they wanted to. But there was a period in the game where Pompey conceded the first goal and then the second where they just dropped off. The first half performance again was not up to par really at all and Danny Cowley said it so many times a good good team has to play well for 90 minutes and I think again Pompey didn't really do that well at all they had spells but nothing more than that
0: yeah, and I think that's the thing. Someone said that uh, Matt was telling us that people were leaving at half time because they are so angry. I think it's a little bit of an overreaction. There, oh, we we'll won't go that it? far. Jesus. Yeah, I know. So I've, see,
2: I've seen much worse games this season than that one.
0: <laughs> Ipswich at home, anyone? Cambridge at home, anyone? But, don't yeah. remind me
2: of those games. Yeah,
0: everyone's just had a little... Cambridge
2: at home, first game I was at Fratton for a year and a half and they served up that. That was not not brilliant.
0: Yeah, when you move back down from the north, down south, you're like, right, well, getting all excited. You've just seen his face. He was like, it's like a little child at Christmas, <laughs> back down to Fratton Park now for, for the duration of the season. And he's actually like, really? <laughs> Which is good. But going back to the game quickly, Ogilvy has that miss. We're talking about getting a striker in and, you know, someone who can convert chances. And Mo Isis certainly can create chances. And he's really stepped up, apparently. And Liam said before, when we were previewing it on the MK1 podcast, who came onto the show, that Mo Isis really stepped up into that role up front. And he looked dangerous. And as soon as that ball came through to him, Freddie, you always thought he was going to score into the bottom right corner, didn't you?
2: Oh, it was quite obvious. Um, Unfortunately, Hackett Hackett lost the ball in midfield, trying to progress it out. And then, yeah, through ball straight to my eyes uh, between uh, between the gap in defence, and I immediately thought he was going to score. I don't think how many times have we thought about a Portsmouth striker doing that way, where you just see a one-on-one and go, oh, that's that's definitely in the corner, no doubt about it whatsoever. So he taps it in, and from then, Pompey's press dropped off a cliff, completely, statistically as well. For an entire game, the average was 8.82 passes allowed per defensive action. From memory, lower the number, the higher the press. 8.82 8.82 is reasonably high, but but the Blues averaged 14.2 in, in the period between 15 minutes and 30 minutes, which is when that first goal was, and then 12.6 later on until half-time, which was desperately poor, especially for a Pompey side that, basically, they create all that most of their chances from the high press out of position, out of possession, excuse me. So that was big. That was very big. Um, and again, it took a half-time team talk from Danny Cowley and some changes to actually spur some life into the team.
0: It is difficult, isn't it, when Pompey press and then, you know, winning the ball high up the pitch, creating havoc, and that's when we're actually going to get some goals. We look quite poor, don't we, when we sit back and we'll talk about that a little bit in the Wimbledon game, but we don't seem to know what to do with the board as much when we're... And we're not pressing on the front foot and turning over you know, the ball in the, in the final third. But we sort of like try and retain possession and pass it around a bit. It's all a little bit flat-footed then, isn't it, really? It's a little bit slow, not real direction to it.
2: Mm, exactly. And I think that's just the idea that this Pompey side is so drilled on capitalising on opportunities and mistakes. And this was before Danny Cowley came as well. But even more so now, mm. uh, Cowley wants his sides to attack with pace and for every pass to matter. And that helps out so much if uh, a player like Curtis or Harness wins the ball high at the pitch. But yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a bit fat-footed. But I think the Ports' overall attacking play in this game was good. Um, I thought Harness had a fair, fairly reasonable game. Some of his passes went away, which is frustrating. But then he had periods in the game where he'd turn two MK Dons midfielders and then create a three-on-two. And you just think, oh, if only we had a player to put on the end of those chances if you're interested in expected goals, Pompey had 2.03 expected goals that game, which was fair, it is normally fairly high. And Hurst took his chance well, but again, very frustrating. Very frustrating game.
0: We talk about Pompey's crossing not being great at the moment as well. You know, getting that delivery into the box as well as strikers sort of converting the chances that they're given. Got to the byline a little bit and he just cuts it back along the floor and Hurst is actually in the right place there, you know, six yards out on the edge of the box just to just to tap that one in. And he did take the, take the chance very well, as you said. And from there, you just sort of hope Pompey push on a bit, don't you? It never really quite happened, but overall I think MK, and we spoke to, I spoke to a couple of MK fans afterwards. I think maybe a draw would have been a fair result, but again, it's, it's not three points, is it Freddie? And when we go on to talk about Wimbledon, should we, should we be concerned at this moment in time?
2: It's not ideal, is it? And it's not looking very clear. Um, Obviously, MK Don's are a challenger for, for a player spot and promotion, just like Pompey arguably are, and argue, or arguably should be, depending on how cynical you are. So, so losing points against a promotion rival was never ideal, but there were enough positives to take from the game where you'd think Pompey are not that far away. And a lot of people think that the squad depth isn't there anymore, with some players leaving and there's still a lot of work to be done. So again, Pompey are in, a, in and around it. So you you don't think, you, you can't be too worried, but you know, the frustration's inevitably going to be there, isn't
0: it? You talk about a little bit about frustrating, Freddie. The, the second goal was quite frustrating because Freeman plays this absolute beautiful bending pass. I mean, if you're... If he's doing nothing in the other direction, I'm suddenly thinking he's the new assist maestro. As he tries to play that back pass, loops around, Mo Isa gets on the end of it. Sean Raggett never really has a a chance in that situation when the ball's there against a quick, pacey striker. Comes back out and it's an absolutely beautiful strike, isn't it? Yeah, which really sinks us there, a little bit of quality.
2: Yeah, I know, lovely finish. Um, it was the Canadian player who scored, wasn't it? What's was his name?
0: Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure Freddie, because I've been poor at this recently. I'm gonna give it a go.
2: It's Theo Corbanu. So Theo Corbanu, yeah, yeah. There we go. I do, I do remember that. Yeah, again, lovely finish, and really, the Don's didn't have loads of a lot that that many other chances in the game, and yeah, that lovely bit of quality. Again, it adds to the frustration, doesn't it? Whereas Pob... When you're watching Pompey, you sometimes think they have to do so much to score a goal. <laughs> they have to slog, they have to work hard, they have to get that, that perfect cross into the box. And then against an opposition, there are, two, there, are two def- there are two arguably defensive errors. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden there are attacks that are dangerous and then it's a, a lovely finish off the crossbar and it's beyond frustrating. <laughs> I think that's why some fans get particularly annoyed, where it always seems that Pompey players always have to do so much more to get the same amount of chances that the opposition do.
0: Yeah, exactly. And talk about being frustrating. Before the game against AFC Wimbledon, me and Andy popped on and spoke to the uh, AFC Wimbledon guys on their sort of fan television before the game. I did the big up and was like quite excited.
2: Huh. Famous as fuck.
0: <laughs> Anyways, move on. But I think the fact is that yeah, we're on the we're on this thing, and they talked about how we're going to play and that kind of thing. And I talked about the high press, and we're doing well. And we know that Wimbledon are also a team that press press quite hard. And we've talked about that in the game. And I said it must be it could be quite an exciting game with two teams going at each other, pressing etc. And it actually ended up with. Probably being one of the most boring games I've seen Pumpy play in quite a long time, which says something about you know. There's been some interesting games over the season, but that one really was a stinker.
2: Yeah, it was. It was flat when I was listening to it on the radio. There, there wasn't a lot. There wasn't a lot to say about it. I think fans were more annoyed with the stuff that was going on before the game with the turnstiles and whatever, which I didn't know about. I wasn't at the game. But yeah, a very drab game. What happened with that? Hugh, by the way, Who I was right, at the, right near the game, front
0: man? at that point. Actually, I was right near the front. So basically, the stewards tried to get everyone through, I would say, like one turnstile, maybe two at the front. Um, and they were basically insisting on checking everybody, going through individually. It was taking absolutely ages. And then when you got to the front, the security guy wanted to scan your ticket himself to go into the thing, look at it, then you had to try and fold it, put it in the thing. It, it took so long that the Pompey fans were singing, uh, This is embarrassing at first we were there. Okay. Seemed a bit lighthearted, you know, take the mick out of the situation, which is going on. And then it started getting a bit more frustrating because I think the fans are thinking we're not going to get in before kickoff now. And suddenly people started pushing a bit. And then there's was this almost like this surge where everyone pushed forward. And I was quite near the fencing that was there to try and funnel fans. All that gets knocked over the Wimbledon stewards are shouting, get back, get back, trying to push everyone back. They get quite hands on at this point. People are getting knocked over. Other Pompey fans are trying to pick people up off the fencing and stuff like that. How out. dangerous was this then? Well, it was quite dangerous, I'd say. Um, and then the stewards couldn't handle it. They were sort of trying to get in there and push. And they were getting pushed back as well. I mean, luckily, nobody got hurt from what I could see. So, I mean, if you're listening, you did. Apologies, but I didn't see anybody get properly injured. But that was a situation where if you manage a game like that, Every week, you are going to get somebody seriously hurt.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And by the sound of it, they just didn't prep for the amount of fans they're expecting at the game. They didn't have. But it sounds they didn't have multiple turnstiles open. They were, I, I, I don't mind stewards being thorough with certain things because obviously you don't you don't want anything nefarious getting into grounds. But there's a line, isn't there? You, you can't take ridiculous amounts of time with one fan every going through. You have to you know, give them a bit of leeway.
0: I think there's only one, I think there's actually in the back of the stand, only one real turnstile to get through for away fans. So I don't know what they're doing. It's going to build another hole and, and you know, another turnstile there. They basically had a side gate that was next to it. And all the puppy fans are calling fact to be opened. And after this sort of crush that went forward and stuff and the police are there, they decided to make the right choice and open that up as another entrance so they could funnel the ports of fans through there, which did help. Uh, get the fans into the ground. Hopefully everyone got in before kickoff. But yeah, it's, it's a silly approach. It was stupid. It was dangerous from them. And hopefully they learn from it because, and yeah, because it could be dangerous. And that's that's the end of it really. But it didn't put fans in the greatest mood for that for that reason, I suppose, going into the game. But you were hoping when we get in there, that we'd see some exciting football. And it never really happened. It was actually weird because the, the first half actually went quite quickly because nothing really happened. It was very... You know, Pompey as well really was stuck back on the. it was that
2: one chance from Jack Radoni in like the sixth minute, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Where it,
1: was it was a lovely ball Bizzini from a lovely one. a
2: lovely ball from Palmer. It was a hanging cross to another Wimbledon player who headed it across to Radoni, but it made a fairly good save as well.
0: Oh, it was a good save, and but Pompey were really on the back foot in the first half. Wimbledon were the better team. We looked like we couldn't get out, and what we were saying in the stands as well, and it sort of happened for the whole first half and periods. Of the second half was. The system didn't really work very well in this game at all. We failed to get the wing-backs forward. They knew the ball was going to go out to them. So what they did is they just covered that pass, that sort of quick ball out to the wing-back. Suddenly they were already there and we couldn't get out of our own half, you know, so we couldn't get forward passes. And in that situation, I think you have to maybe mix up a little bit. And in the second half, we went a little bit more direct, which enabled Pompey to really get on the front foot and then get the wing-backs forward. So, I mean, there's a lot of talk after the game of whether we should have potentially changed the formation or found a different way to play. I did hear some fans being a bit critical that we were never going to score, they're saying, in the situation of we're maybe leave. Mark Bonner sort of out-tactic Danny Cowley in this one, which is not something we usually say. but it. No, no, apparently uh,
2: people are unhappy with the substitutes being late because Jacobs didn't come until later on, didn't he?
0: Well, he didn't come on till later either, but I'll be honest, yeah, we can sort of talk about the minutes of this game. Not very much happened in this game at all. Obviously, Marlon Romeo, what a strike that was. Unlucky to come off the bar, but it would have been a snatch and grab, really, if that went in. And I know there's a lot of uh, talk from the club about dominant second half performance and da-da-da, Yeah, but it it
2: was never really convincing that we were going to score. Well, Pompey's, Pompey's XG in that game was also very bad. I think it was like 0.5 or something. So it, 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 didn't, see, it didn't sound like Pompey I had really any clear-to-cut chances on the radio when I was listening. And I looked at that and I thought, oh, I'm not, I'm not really surprised. Not really surprised. Um, so how, so what, what should Pompey have done differently then in that game to actually get something out of it?
0: Uh, first of all, our set plays are so poor. Our crossing, and we say this, but our corners never beating the first man. It's incredibly frustrating to watch over and over.
2: I was going to say, we haven't, got, we haven't really got a reliable set of piece taker, have we? Unless Lee Brown's taking free kicks.
0: He took one corner, it was actually quite good. And Raggett had a header, which he sort of, again, didn't get on target. So he went over the bar you just think you just got to hit that down or something like that. But it, it cleared the crossbar. It was actually a really good chance in front of the Pompey fans. I think that was probably where most of that actually came from Freddie, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was poor. There wasn't much to do apart from learn how to put a ball in the box properly. And I think when it's not working over and over again, I don't know if it's a confidence issue, but you know, I mean, my, my young coach playing football said to me, Hugh at 10 years old, if you can't cross the ball past the first man, you're definitely not taking corners. So I was never allowed to take a corner because I was shitted to it. But it seems for Pompey, if they do try and pass the first man, it's a sort of looping slow ball, which no one's really ever going to convert. It's easy for defenders. It's easy for the goalkeeper. And the goalkeeper looked quite poor, actually. He dropped a lot of crosses. He dropped a lot of things. And you just got to think, at that point, you got to put more shots on target. Pompey didn't. So hopefully you can just chalk this one off. We don't seem to be good against Wimbledon. There was some like positives out there. There was
2: one positive out of that game. Hayden Carter looked like he fit like a glove into that uh, defensive system, didn't he? His passing was fairly excellent. He was def- defensively sound, got stuck in a fair bit. Um, so, yeah, he, he had a, a quite impressive debut, didn't he?
0: Yeah, man of the match performance, definitely. Six interceptions, six aerial duels, one. I think it was one key pass through in the game. So, yeah, I thought he was very good. He's very composed on the ball. And Andy made a joke to me in the stand saying... I think really early on he tapped one out for a throw-in which was was the fine thing to do, stop a corner happening and he's like, he's not exactly going to Cruyff turn him, is he? Let's be honest, in the first game and then later on he does that little Cruyff turn sort of move and shifts the ball to the left. He looked, he had a bit of pace about him, his passing was good, his positioning was good, decent in the air. I think we've got a really, really good player here, Fred.
2: No, that's great to say. I looked a tiny bit into his advanced stats and, I still think him, him playing nine matches and 646 minutes for Blackburn in the championship this season is very good. Blackburn, a, a solid side chasing promotions to the Premier League. So any young centre-half who's given that time and is trusted in that side, it says a lot, isn't it? Because teams like that don't want to give anything away. And he had the, out of it, he's had, he wins he wins 60% of his duels in the championship, averaging 19.23 per 90, which is Average number in the championship and, and reasonable success rate. Uh, so it, that has to translate dropping down a division and playing every week surely. And I think the big thing is his composure, like you said, and being right-footed. He'll just add so much and make a defensively strong team like Pompey even more solid for me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. He looks like a great player. I just, if he you, if you can play like that for the rest of the season, we're going to be a very difficult team to score against. Now, if we can use that as a platform, bring in a few more attacking players, add another left wing back, and we'll come to talk about that in a minute, I think that is potential for this team to be very good. It's just we still need some key pieces to complete this team. It's not quite ready yet. Obviously, we've had more players go out than come in as well. The squad already was a bit thin. So we need to get a couple more players in, and we're going to come on to that right now. So we asked you guys, and we said, who do Pompey need to sign in January to bolster the squad? And what positions do you guys think? Not just what we think. What do you think? Thank you everyone for messaging in. Again, it's really appreciated. I know I've already said this earlier on, but we do. We genuinely appreciate it massively. Dave messages in. He says, ideally another striker, an attacking centre midfielder, also a better left wing back if we're going for the 3 5 2. First question, Freddie, is do you think Danny Cowley would stick to the 3 5 2? I've seen a few people thinking about changing the formation with new players in. Are we stuck to this, or is Danny gonna have a look at it and see what players he can get in with an open mind?
2: I think well will probably keep to an open mind he said he said that enough in all the all the transfer related articles we've seen he's he's fairly open to what sort of players he wants to bring in as long as he thinks they're good enough uh, no about what the position is which which is not what we were thinking fans were thinking before the transfer window, we were just thinking, okay, he's going to bring it, try and bring in a right side, a center half and a center forward. The side will pretty much stay the same because you wouldn't be able to sell anybody. But so far, there've been a lot of outs, um, some major ones in John Marquis, and we brought in a right side, the center half and a center forward already. And arguably we might need another striker death wise, because we've only got two of them, which is not enough. If you, if you're playing two up front and now there's arguments about left, wi- left wing back because Hackett is filling in admirably at that position, but defensively he's not that good. And then Brown, uh, Lee Brown, fairly solid operator at wing back, but you think, oh, you, you want a wing back who's more aggressive and going forward and has has better crossing numbers. And then Aziz the leaves, and then you think, oh, God, I mean, Pompey don't have many centre midfielders anymore, <laughs> again, with Tonicliff being injured. So you have to fill in that slot as well. All sorts, all sorts. I did some research for the transfer pod that got delayed because of illnesses and whatever from my end. And I literally only looked at a set of half and set of forward because I thought, oh God, that's a, those are the only positions we're going to have. Now I've got to do loads of stuff. I've got to do loads of stuff and look at some things. So yeah, I mean, I think the free 5 2 will be the template, but if Cowley brings in the right players in January, he might just shift it. I think, I think he's flexible enough to do that.
0: Yeah, we're talking about left wing backs and it was something I didn't really focus on too much when I was talking to people about players that we could potentially get in as a as an option for that position. I did mention it a little bit, but didn't focus on it too much. One player that was signalled to me, and thanks to Max from... He does stuff at Arsenal.com. He's been on here with us, but he, he was talking about the potential that Joel Lopez needs to come out online. He's a player who plays for their, their under-23s. He's a left wing back. He came from the Barcelona youth system. He thinks he needs some lower league football time to bulk up, but he's very quick. He's good tracking back. He's naturally a left wing back. His crossing is elite. He needs a bit of time just to work a little bit on that positioning, as you expect from a young uh, Barcelona player who's coming into the Arsenal system, who the Arsenal fans say he's following the Seth Fabregas development model. It's not out of the question. He went to league one rather than going to league two and sorry, rather than going to the championship. So it's potential, unless Arsenal absolutely hate us for not developing Aziz properly.
2: I'd be cynical for two minutes. I feel yeah. like we've heard the same thing from him about Aziz, and he was all right. <laughs> he wasn't, he, 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 Aziz wasn't, didn't have a magical spell at Portsmouth. He had some games, where so I thought, oh, he fitted in very well. And then he had that classic game against Harrogate where you thought, oh, it's another... it's a bit of a Premier League youth player getting muscled muscled out of a Football League game. Are we going to have the same thing happen again if we get Lopez on loan?
0: Maybe. Maybe. That's that's fair to say. I think we're going to mix up playing some players on loan who turn out good, who are young, if you call it the Premier League loan lottery, joking around. But if you look at this player in particular, it's a a space we need. If you can't get someone in, and we'll talk about the the next person who we've been linked to straight after this... But he's been included in the Europa Cup squads. He's been involved in first-team stuff for them as well. He's been training most of the first team at the end of last season. So, yeah, maybe. Maybe he will work. Maybe it won't. But there's a left-back option there. He's a natural wing-back. He's great at crossing and could be quite a good balance to have Marlon Romy on the right-hand side.
2: You sound very positive here.
0: Hey, I'm trying to be positive. Don't know. I don't know enough about him in that sense. But it's an option, Fred. So I thought I'd put it out there into the ether. That's a message in and he says most viable is going to be a left wing back. It's an important position now with the new formation we are playing and neither Hackett or Brown have anything like Romeo does on the right. Would love a permanent quality striker but think we might have to wait into the summer for that. Do you need a left wing back Fred? That's right and said, Are we ever going to find anyone who balances Marlon Romeo's sort of ability on the left hand side
2: realistically? <laughs> I think so, because Marlon Robbie has a championship <laughs> wing-back. <laughs> it's, it's going to be very hard to get a championship standard wing-back who is fairly reliable at crossing, can dri- can dribble as aggressively as he can, but can also be as defensively solid as he can. And, and most most of the time, he's always in the right place, so he doesn't have to get stuck in all the time. He's in the right place defensively, and has got a proper engine and can go up and down. To fill in that gap is going to be very hard, very hard. Um, but then again, I'm, I'm thankful they're not Danny Cowley. I don't have to bring up bring up answers to these questions.
0: Exactly, we can just talk about it here on our podcast and not worry about it. But the a player that we've been linked to in the last sort of couple of hours, apparently, is a I can't I'm not to credit the link. Freddie, you can you can tell me who it's from. But Denver Hume from Sunderland has been linked coming to us. Now, if you look online at the moment in time, Sunderland fans are sort of jostling for who's going to be the person to drive him down for us. Someone said he's got a free bus, all those standard sort of comments. I'll pay for him to get the train down, someone else said. But I was having a quick chat with Graham on the What The Fork podcast, which is absolutely excellent, Sunderland podcast. He also did a lot of coverage on England during the Euros with Matt from Jules and the Blood and a few other people there. He does a great job to go check that out. We'll share the link. But he was saying that quite contrary to what a lot of Sunderland fans will think even the majority he said in a left wing back role where he's not required to be as defensively responsible he thinks that he could be okay in that system for us and he could have some potential if Danny Cowley thinks he can you know turn him round as such to do that he said he's a little bit frustrated about the fact that you know how old is he I think he's 24 now and he still looks like quite a raw player something you might expect a little bit from a player who's a you know a couple years younger than him obviously they wanted to keep him because they offered him a contract in May and he didn't sign it until September, I believe. Uh, there was one of four players that Sunderland wanted to keep her out of contract. So I think what Graham said, there is a player there and I won't go into the whole conversation, go and have a listen to it. But I, I said
2: to him, I wasn't that keen at the start. Freddie, what are your thoughts? I don't think it's a bad signing. I don't, I don't think it's wonderful either. I'm sort of hit and miss on it. It was first broken by Phil Smith in the Sunderland Echo and then, repeated, and then repeated in the Portsmouth News by Jordan Cross later on. Like I said, I don't think Hume is brilliant defensively, but one thing he does do very well is cross the ball. I'm looking at his stats now for last season. And for left-backs and left-wing-backs, 6.39 crosses per 90, which is, the, which is joint highest in the league for that time with 31.5% crossing accuracy for the amount of crosses that he does, which is quite a fair bit higher than most left wing backs. That's very good. And we are arguing earlier that we needed a player who could put in a decent delivery. Hume on the left hand side is fairly aggressive and puts in those crosses. Looks like a big deal. His dribbling stats are also fairly good. 5.43 dribbles per 90 with 71% accuracy. That's very good. That's very good. The pro- the problem is you might think, well, yeah, he has all these fairly reasonable attacking stats. This season, he's been hampered by injuries and COVID mainly because I think it was reported he had COVID. I know he's coming off an injury, so he's barely played this season, which is why I'm looking at stats from last season. you think, you just got to think, is he better than what we have already? Can we just play Hackett there and watch him develop? Why do we have to go and potentially pay a fee for Denver Hume when you just think, oh, I may as well just play Hackett there instead, who's... A bit similar, and I haven't got the comparison stats to hand <laughs> straight away. But I'm, I'm, I'm at least interested in the, in the Denver Hume link. Uh, I, 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 I'm not one of those people who, you know, I, I think, oh, he's god awful. I'll, I'll stick him on an oven train all the way down to Pompey, whatever. But his advanced stats are quite good. They're at least interesting. Where I think, oh, it d- depends on the right money, and depends if he's actually recovered from. The injuries and in COVID enough to think, well, is he can he actually can he actually impact impact the team more?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I thought historically his crossing wasn't great, which is annoying because I said that, and now we've got the stats in front of us, and his crossing is actually last very good one. from last season. Last season, yeah, but ability to cross the ball at least we can say depends on how much money we're going to pay for him I suppose but I do have faith in Danny Cowley he thinks he can turn turn the player around he's done very well with his recruitment if you look at how how you've got Romeo on one side as well so if he thinks that human come in and do a job I'll keep an open mind I'll say it to any all Poppy fans anyway let's watch him play for us if he signs and then make up our mind after after a fair amount of games and see what we think of the guy but we'll have to keep an eye on that and see what happens and if we do get him we'll get a bit more detail from some of the Sunderland lads we know to come on the podcast and talk about it. But let's get back to what you guys think now. But well, I thought I'd link that into the to the left wing back ch- uh, chatter. Uh, Tim Foot is in and he says the defence is solid. To me, it's a case of quality balls getting into the box. Curtis has evolved from a winger into more of a ten, and Harness has drifted into the centre more. Perhaps we need more width and crossing we definitely do need more width than crossing. The question is, is that going to come from the wing-back role? Because even with Romeo, for instance, his crossing is not really his best attribute, is
2: it? No, no. It, 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 his his link-up play is going forward is, and dribbling is much better than his crossing. And you just think... I actually agree with the fact that, well, Harness is now a number 10. You don't you don't imagine him as a winger. You think, well, whenever he goes that wide, his talent's a bit wasted. And now Curtis is effectively playing as a second striker alongside Hurst. Lots of the aerial crosses will just be from the backs because that's where you get those chances from in a 3-5-2 formation. It's not like a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 where where it's more flexible in that regard. So yeah, at the the moment, width becomes quite difficult. There was one player who I did look up who I think could fit this system and who I would really like at Pompey and would probably be cheap is Dylan Bahambula from Oldham. Simply because of his wicked dribbling, he's played. He, he's played as a striker for Oldham this season. That's how, that, That's how short they are in that regard. But he, but as, as a right winger, he's insane. He's very flexible. Can move in and out of position. He's got an excellent delivery. I don't have all this stats to hand. I can find them. But that's the sort of player where you think, oh, if you want, if you want a versatile player on the cheap, you could bring him in. He's he's not left sided at all. You'd have to play him either in a four at the back as a right winger or you play him as a striker alongside Hurst and well Tyler Walker who we're going to talk about later on but I think yeah I think Pompey are short on players who can put a good ball into the box and that's going to prove quite difficult soon.
0: Alfie John messages in he says I feel a left left back is a need Brown's ageing and apart from Ogilvy who's been rock solid at centre back we have no proper cover there If we do get a left-back, however, I'm hoping they have pace like Romeo. So my Alfie. They need to have pace. If you're going to be in a wing-back role where you get up and down the pitch and do that, you've got to have pace, haven't you,
2: Fred? Absolutely. Just for the simple fact that you've just got so much... uh, Wing-backs have so much ground to cover. It's why it's a very hard, very hard position because you've almost got to have some of the attributes like a left midfielder, but also the attributes of a left-back. You've got to be able to do a bit of everything, which Romeo does very well, in my opinion. and Hackett and Brown clearly have their strengths one way or the other. I, I think Brown's still very good at linking up with Ran and Curtis, and sometimes his link-up plays quite good, and he gets stuck in. But Cowley seems to be Seems to prefer Hackett at the moment. Which you think? I don't think I just don't, I just don't think he's good enough defensively. I think it's just that always irks me whenever he's at left back. I think there's always gaps there. So I think now consider even though he focused on other needs of the squad you may be looking at at most maybe two more signings maybe three preferable for in January it, it depends now because of all the players that are gone
0: clearly clean some salary out the squad which is decent but we'll see what happens there Cowley's cows is in he says central areas of good quality Wing back's concerning, as we started to use them as our outlets more with diagonal and long balls by passing centre and midfielders. Technical ability is not there to so be our creative outlet. Feel the squad starting to look better suited creati- creatively to a four-two-three-one formation. Fred, what do you think about switching the formation to four
2: two three one? Uh I'm not really sure to be honest because I think well, do you remember the last times we played before the back formation Poppy barely created anything even though that problem has persisted um, we met it, 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 even in the last few games that you've watched playing free at the back Poppy had been rock solid defensively have a lot of clean sheets whereas that was the previous issue with the formation but that was sold really with players playing better and having options at every position as well so I don't think so. I think it's. I, don't, I, I just think a few more players either need to be brought in, or the players we have just have to actually take their chances and play a bit better. <laughs> it, it's, yeah. we, which sounds hard because it's not a you know it's not a um, a direct right answer, is it? it it's not like, oh I'm going to snap my fingers and suddenly Portsmouth promotion side and everything's fine. They're not yet, in my opinion. But but yeah, but I think just Pompey's problem scoring goals is very frustrating and and that's going to lead to many fans thinking the team isn't as good as it might be on paper.
0: Yeah, and you have to see who comes in, don't you? I'm, I'm still hoping that we'll talk about Tyler Walker, but someone like that playing up front and we'll speak in a minute to Glenn uh at the Sky Blues Fan TV about him and how he could potentially have that impact of being the goal scorer for us. And if you've got a goal scorer up front like that and you can get some balls into the box and... He can take the chances, and suddenly Pompey look like a lot better team if you've got a player, a bit like we played against him, Don's like Mo Issa, who when he goes through on goal, you think he's going to put it in the back of the net straight away. So that could solve all problems a little bit if we can score a couple of those goals and still be as defensively solid as we currently are. James messages in, he says, Left-back, an absolute priority. A creative central midfielder, and a left-footed striker who can play on the wing too. Obviously, talked about left backs. So I'm going to try and skip past that now, Freddie. But a creative centre midfielder and a left footed striker. Oh, we, need, we need a striker, but a creative striker who can play on the wing, too on the left. It sort of sounds a bit like Ronan Curtis,
2: really. Yeah, I was going to say, we already have Ronan Curtis, don't we? <laughs> I mean, who could potentially play on the wing in a four? Well, I'm just assuming that Caldo play three at the back. So, really. <sighs> From what I gathered, uh, what Danny County wants from a striker are five things, and that's a the ability to have very good clo- uh, close cut control, b be fit enough to be f- be fit enough and to join a high press, c when you aerial duels, d score multiple types of goals, and e be accomplished in moving off the ball and getting into the space in and outside the penalty area. So, so, so a striker who's more like a weir can't do all of those things. They can't really be tough enough and get involved in an nitty gritty stuff like George Hurst can do, for example. You, you just think that Cowley's strikers need to be more of like a complete forward rather than just a goal scorer or a dynamic winger or a goal scorer. In my head, I thought, oh, that's the sort of player that Cowley's after. That's why I didn't like Marquis in the first place. Because uh, many people, uh, depending on your opinion, many people saw him as a goal scorer and a penalty box striker. But then we bring in Tyler Walker, who's who, who we've been told is a bit similar, which is very strange. So yeah, uh, I think if we do need another striker, I think we just need another striker for, uh, who's like more of that complete mould who could do a little bit of everything rather than just an out and out goal scorer. Because I think Pompey have had too many of those recently, and they haven't worked out.
0: Andrew messages in, he says Cohen Brammel from Lincoln will solve sort our of left back left back issues. Anything to say on that, Fred? Nope? No? I don't know enough about him either. So we'll take your word for it, Andrew. Art Vanderlei mentions in. says not of you on signings. But having only lost one league game since October, do other fans just need to shut up and accept that we're a playoff contender and just get on with it.
1: Up the
2: blues. <laughs> 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 oh, oh I, w- I wish I had that opinion. I wish I had that opinion. I, I, I'm not completely single about Pompey. I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle where I think the team is fairly good, but there are uh, there are still gaps, which will mean that Pompey will be in and around the playoffs race, but not entirely be there or, or may fall off. You'll just have to write and see. But I love that optimism. I wish I had it.
0: Yeah, shout out. We need a bit more positivity around us. so I appreciate that one. JC messaged him. He says definitely need another striker and still think we need a number, number 10. Defence looks strong but could probably use another left side. Also need that creative midfielder to provide more chances for the attackers and a third, fourth for Counting Curtis option up front. Do you think then, Fred, that we need another centre attacking midfielder? Obviously you've got Harness there. Jacobs can play in that role as well but, you know, County sort of sees him better out wide than he does in the 10 position. Are we a little bit short in 10? Do we need another, the Pompey, you know, this is going to be news we never heard for years. Oh, God. So need again. Pompey need, need another, another... 10? Yeah. Hey, Sammy Schmodix, is, is he available? I mean... you'll, be say,
2: you'll be saying that Pompey needs to, needs to try and get Ben Thompson on loan again. Um, not to play at 10, geez. <laughs> Some people will argue that, by the way. <laughs> I know,
0: bring it at me, at PO4 Cards.
2: <laughs> oh, but, that's the problem when you have when you got certain positions where it's obvious who's going to start. You just think, well, who's going to sign to be a depth player in that position? Who's going to sign to be a right wing back at Pompey when Romeo's basically got the starting, it's got the starting shirt there for the rest of the season unless he's injured. It's the same with any attacking midfielder because Harness will play there. I think really Pompey's realistic option is to get a player similar to Miguel Aziz, who can play as an eight and as a ten, who can do a bit of both, and is very and is very mobile off the ball, and is fairly good at unlocking um unlocking space and creating chances with balls through the through the middle of the opposition defence. I think that's where Pompey will look to, and they'll probably look to the loan market for that, because I, mean, I, I just think that Pompey won't be permanently signing. Mm many people they might do considering the amount of wages that have gone but I just think Danny Cowley would just look for the best players available and if it's through the loan market it's through the loan market in his opinion
0: Yeah and especially if it's going to be a player that's going to be using the squad rotation I don't know if you're going to then go out and spend money on that as well at a time you think about that but I think he may be if you go on to sign a few permanent signings it's maybe someone who's going to slot into the first team that he sees here being a real impact player then again there might be a few on the cheap that and knocking around, so who knows? Uh, J C also talks about Freddie. He thinks Curtis is more effective on the wing, cutting inside, opposed to playing up front. I think a while ago I was I would disagree with that. I thought he looked better up front. He was doing well. He's, he's winning some headers, and and I thought the goals would come, but they haven't really come, have they? And do we think he's a little bit more ineffectual in this more narrow system up front? <sighs>
2: I think his end product's been brilliant. It, uh, a lot of a lot of the rest of his play has been good. Closing down off the ball, he works very well. He gets into dangerous positions, which he still did out wide anyway. So I don't think it's just. I don't think it's the fact that he's not doing enough, or, or, or I don't think that some of his passing off the ball isn't wonderful. It's just that uh, I think for me the two things are his decisions where. His decisions for me aren't there. Uh, like so, I feel so many times. I think it was in the MK Dons that game. He was out wide to the penalty area, and he should have put a cross into George Hurst, but took a shot anyway for a wide position. But we could have argued that when he played on the wing, that's not that's not a positional problem. That's just Ronan Curtis as a player. I think it's just it's just who he is. I don't, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a formational or positional problem. I think Curtis is always going to be a streaky winger, such centre-forward who gets goals and assists in bunches and then stuff doesn't happen for a little bit. That's just how it is, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair enough. We'll see, though. We'll see how how it pans out, mate. But Chill and Bill meshes in. Says, another striker, but someone with a presence up top. He needs to hold the ball up. Good in the air and experience. We need more leaders and less kids in the team. I think we just get the, the best player available. So I'm going to say on that. I don't think it necessarily needs to be. Come on. Oh, do you know who was experienced? People are talking about. Are we going to get Jermaine Defoe in? I was talking I'll be, I'll about us. <laughs> I'm not saying we should get him, mate. Uh, I'm, I, just joking I, around. I'm
2: sorry. I, I I will never support Jermaine Defoe coming back to the club because uh, because Harry up sold Ben Gianni to get him. And he was my he's my favourite Portsmouth player of all time. Probably probably a, a horrendous player to have as my is your favourite player of all time. But yeah, for me it was Ben Gianni. I just remember those two seasons where at the beginning he just could, he couldn't hit a barn door to save his life but he, but he just put his heart and soul out on the pitch every single game and eventually it worked and for a while he was the top goal scorer in the Premier League which nobody expected whatsoever and then Powerhead and him for a mercenary I'm still not happy about that
0: Look if we were to go, go out and get a marquee sort of signing quality striker put some money on it big name that works fine but it doesn't always work out like that does it so we see what happened with John Marquez as well. You came in, you scored all these goals, you know, you spend all this money on him, it doesn't work out. So you can't use that as a benchmark. Ellis Harrison, again, brought in... I mean, I wouldn't say he had the same goal record, let's be honest, but it's not yeah, always... an had yeah,
2: a card record, though. Well, yeah, mate. Right. It was good for, good for a bet. Good Go for on. a bet. Are we going to say a last thing on John Marquez? Are we... Are we... Let's touch on on it now then, shall we? Are we happy that that saga's ended or not? I'm really
0: happy the saga's ended because it was just very frustrating as a fan to watch the man play up front. He clearly lost all confidence in his own ability up top or in his ability to score goals for us. He wasn't making the runs into the channel, wasn't getting into dangerous positions, didn't have any faith he was going to put chances away either. His time had definitely come to an end. I didn't know if we'd be able to shift him easily. I was actually quite surprised that we've managed to get rid of him, Harrison and Downing, to be honest. Three of those in one window. For me, is excellent business by by Danny Cowley and, and Cullen and, and the, the wider Portsmouth team who are involved in transfers nowadays. But yeah, John Marquez, you got any real comments? Because I don't really have that much to say about it, apart from wishing well at Lincoln. Hope he does well, not against us. And yeah, that's it really. I think it's
2: a lot of the arguments around John Marcus have been very one way or the other either unanimous support for his ability in every way or that he's an absolute donkey <laughs> I'm as usual for me I usually stay in the middle of those for a large part of his Bobby career he was fairly decent and there and for times that weren't there are were a lot of caveats and reasons why he wasn't scoring goals do you remember when he was playing in an attacking field do you remember we were talking? We were ranting about that for yeah. half a season. Yeah, saying, "Oh, oh if he plays God. up front; they will be all right again." And yeah, I know, I know. But and he had he had many spells where he fit fitted in with the rest of the team, and there were many spells where he, lo- he did look dangerous. But I've had a, I've had a look at his stats, like I used to do with a lot of players. This season, four goals from four point seven xg in all competitions. Last season, eighteen goals, all comps, including the FA Trophy games from 21.95 XG, so call that 22 if you want. And the season before that, 14 goals from 17.74 XG. What's the the common theme for all of that?
0: Underperforming the chances he's given.
2: Exactly. He's underperformed the chances he's given. And if you want to go a bit more simple stats than that, he scored 10 goals in his last 55 Pompey games uh, per Neil Allen, if that stat's right. And a lot of times when you watch him, you notice that his first touch isn't brilliant. I think that's, the for me, the most frustrating thing I found about him was that horrible first touch. He'd be in with a golden opportunity and then, and then and take, a, take a, a nonsense first touch, which just took it away immediately or made a chance even harder, which he didn't really need to. So not only did he underperform his quality chances from statistics-wise, he did it from the eye test as well because his touch would just bring out bring him out of opportunities. I thought he did really well in a pressing style of play. And I never doubted his, his work rate and tenacity off the ball. And a lot of times I saw him, I saw him make runs through the centre of the pitch and the delivery wasn't there. And you thought, oh, if only, if only we had X, Y, Z to be able to actually give him some decent service. But the stats don't lie. He's underperformed his scoring chances at Pompey for a lot of his time. And I'm sad about that because I don't. I don't think he. I don't think he's a bad player, but there are only so many times where you think oh, he doesn't fit into that system. Oh, we well, need these three things for him to be good again and to be a 20 goal season striker. I think the pri- I think the price tag made a lot of people think he was uh, think he was excellent. Where at the time I thought it was, he was the right player for Pompey, and I thought oh, with a few additions under K Jacket's system, which. Didn't happen for the longest time, and yeah, it's a sh- it's just a shame that it didn't work out. I think, uh, it, but I, I don't. I, I don't. I think his ceiling is League One. I don't see him going any higher. And if he goes and scores goals for Lincoln, well, it's just one of those things. You, you, as a pub fan, you can't really get frustrated about it because it's just another player who goes somewhere else, new lease of life, new scenery, blah blah. But a probably just for the largest part, arguably his second season was quite good which I did think um, season before with some caveats, but there, are, but there were just too many of them in my opinion.
0: Yeah. And I think Michael Appleton's a very good manager as well. I really rate him. So he's going to go and play under Appleton, slightly different style. We'll see how he, how he does over there at Lincoln, but yeah, I'm glad the saga is over to be honest, Freddie, because let's, let's get Pompey fans all on the same page. Behind the new striker and or strikers, hopefully coming in, and we could all stop bickering about whether we think people are being too harsh or people are not criticizing enough or whatever it is. John Marquis, whatever everyone's different opinions are, let's all get behind the new lads so we can move on from this chapter of, well, this chapter of John Marquis. Dave Howells messages in. He says, in terms of permanent transfers, Nesta Guinness Walker and Carl Wootton would fit the Pompey profile perfectly. Guinness Walker is one of the most promising fullbacks in the EFL, whereas Wootton is a striker who likes to hold up the ball and grab a goal every now and then. Now, I know Andy's not a big fan of Guinness Walker. We'll start there. What are you saying, Freddie? Should we get him in?
2: He's also a right-wing back as well, isn't he? He is, isn't he? Yeah, so, so if you bring him in, what is he going be?
0: He's going, to, oh, well, he's going to cut back on his other foot to cross the constantly, isn't
2: he? <laughs> or, or, or he's going to sit on the bench because Romeo's playing though. Yeah, exactly. So I just think I, mean, I think, I think maybe in the summer that's a very good signing if Romeo doesn't come back. what and Wotton I haven't seen enough of to comment enough. White Scouts put National League stuff on so, so I might have a look at some point but I haven't looked at him enough to be honest. I can't really comment with any authority at all.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know either. Don't know enough about it to comment either. So we'll we'll have a look at that, Freddie, and we'll we'll come back to people. All right, everyone, thanks for messaging in again. Appreciate it. And let's get on to our talk about one of the Pompey new boys we just spoke about. So Pompey have signed Tyler Walker, 25 years old, from Coventry on loan. Played his first game for Pompey against AFC Wimbledon, got 90 minutes, hadn't even trained with the squad. So that must be quite difficult coming into a new team. You haven't even trained with the players, and so did all right. But here's our interview with Glenn from the Sky Blues TV podcast. All right, I'm here with Glenn from Sky Blue Fans TV. Glenn, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having us, Hugh. I'm looking forward to chatting about Tyler Walker with you.
0: No, definitely. I think Pompey fans have been quite excited about getting a, a new striker in. Obviously, Marcus has gone out the door, so it's Harrison. What kind of striker? Could you just quickly sum up how he plays and what Pompey fans should expect from him?
1: Uh he's probably a finisher. He's pretty much a penalty box, six-job box finisher. His three goals that he's scored for Cobb this season. Two have been tappings off crosses. Uh, coming in and he's got across the near post and tapped him in, and the other goal he's balls dropped him in the box and he's just swung swung it and hit it top corner. So his goals per starts ratio for us is quite good, but a lot of the time he's come off as sub for us, and um, so he's played like five minutes. So his overall record is like three goals in like twenty start and uh, twenty games, which looks really bad. But on paper, the games he started, he's started, he's, he tends to score in us. Um, So, yeah, I wouldn't say he's a great link-up player. Um, I think he possibly needs someone alongside him. um, But he's definitely somebody who, if you get the ball in the box, I think he'll score plenty of goals for you, as his track record at Newport and uh, Mansfield and um, Lincoln has shown in the past. And he was our top scorer last season. I noticed
2: that... um... He's played less since obviously Coventry signed Martin Waghorn this season from Derby, Derby and there's also Matt, Matt Godden and uh, Victor Gilchis as well. Were you surprised that he dropped down the pecking order a bit or did you think Coventry just had better options available than Walker?
1: His Coventry career, he's been very unlucky. He, he scored on his debut, which was away against Milton Keynes, uh, came on as sub against Bristol City, um, And was doing a couple of games as sub um, and then he probably would have started away at Brentford and he got COVID, and then he dropped down the pecking order. Then Matty Godden got injured. He's never really had a consistent run of games, and a lot of the time he was playing up front on his own, and I'm not sure at championship level he's, he's good enough. But this season, he's actually, he came on against Forest, made a really good impact, came on for Waghorn, started the League Cup game, scored, had another goal ruled out for offside, played away at Barnsley, played reasonably well, and then he injured his shoulder after 20 minutes and then kind of fell out the team. He came back in against Blackburn, uh, scored, scored again away against Preston and then got dropped for Matty Godden, which I felt was a bit harsh because he scored two and two. But Mark Robbins wanted to go with Godden and Jokerez. And yeah, he's been a bit unlucky because Jokerez and Godden have both hit probably the best spells they've had in their careers. But... I think he's he's been very unlucky with us and I, I'm, I'm surprised we let him go, to be honest.
0: So Pompey are going to play a formation generally at this moment in time anyway while we're recording like a 3-4-1-2 formation. So in that situation, he would have a strike partner up front with him with a number 10 playing in behind him, which is Marcus Harness. He's been our most productive player in scoring goals this season with nine goals. The only issue we've had at the moment is our crossing's not been great into the box of our delivery. And obviously I think... Danny Cowley's going to try and address that from the left potentially by getting a new left wing back and Marlon Romeo will bomb forward on the right-hand side for us. I think the question I'm trying to ask then is how do you think he'll fit into that sort of system and how vital is it that he gets balls from wide into the box rather than sort of chances they're created through the middle?
1: I think obviously at Carvey he struggled a bit because we play wing backs and only this really like last season we had Ryan Giles who obviously this season's tore it up for Cardiff. And I think if he had a Ryan Giles and this season, like we've got Todd Kane, who is just cross after cross after cross, Tyler Walker would score plenty of goals. I think he might be in a better in a team that probably plays a four-two-three-one, or he or he has a target man alongside him. His best spell at Carve, he played up front with Maxime Biame, um, and he scored a few goals with him, and uh, they linked up well and. He, read, he ran off um, Max's flick-ons and scored a few good goals. So, he's he's very much a confident striker. He will get chances. The, the, I think he, he just kind of, much the similar way maybe Marquez, you guys at Portsmouth kind of lost a bit of faith with him. I think the Coff fans had started to get on his case. He had a chance within the first minute against Millwall where he, the ball got stuck under his feet. And I think if he'd been on the run where he'd been two and two, he'd have just swung his foot at it. So he is a bit um, probably not as confident as he, as he should be. But I think in the system you play, if you get crosses, I would personally think you'd be better with Harnessed on one side and Curtis on the other, putting the crosses in for him. But I don't think that's the way Cowley wants to play. But Cowley did get him doing really well at Lincoln playing as a lone striker. So I'm interested to see how he, he does for you guys.
2: What do you think Tyler Walker's long-term future then is? Because obviously he's with Pompey until the end of the season. We hope it does well. Next season coming up, do you think Walker would have a long-term future at at the Rico Arena or do you you think they would look to move him on depending on how the loan spell goes?
1: Uh, He very polarises the fan base, even polarises our podcast team. There's people that would gladly see the back of him. I'm kind of a fan of him. We've got him under contract till next summer, summer of 2023. Mark Robbins made a big deal of trying to get him. He tried to get him the championship promotion season where we got out of League One. He wanted him, but Lincoln got in ahead of him. I'd be very surprised unless we got a very good offer for him from you guys in the summer. I think the plan is he gets games under his belt. We probably needed him off the wage bill to free up some money, um, because we've got we're quite weak at left wing back, so we've gone and got Jake Bidwell in. I think Tyler Walker going has probably helped us. Um, I think Yocarez, unless he recaptures his purple spell of the earlier in the season, I, I think he's going to stay with us next season. Martin Wagon? Question mark. I think this might be Matty Godden's best season, and I think he might tailor off. So I think there is a space for Walker. The interesting thing that's come out today is, obviously, we've been linked with a guy, I think you guys were looking at, Cameron Archer from uh, Aston Villa. I think he may well be coming on loan to us. And then, obviously, it's how well he does for us could, obviously, impact on what Walker does. But I'd, I'd like to keep him. He hasn't had the run of games under Mark Robbins that other strikers has, like um, previous Portsmouth striker Mark Minolte. Robbins backed him to the hilt. He was, couldn't hit a barn door. And we he basically was the reason we got out of League League 2. Um, and he BMU's the same. Jody Wooler, who you guys have had, he's he backed the strikers, whereas Tyler Walker's never really had that run of 10 games where you're my striker and I'm going to nail my coat to you, so to speak.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds promising. I think the thing is, I mean, obviously Danny Cowley knows him and stuff, et cetera, from before. Obviously, left not too long after that, but I think the fact is that hopefully then he can settle in. He's saying he's a confidence player. He's got a a manager there that he you knows. I think Joe Morrell was also there at the same time, correct me if I'm wrong, Freddie, um, at Lincoln. So it's quite interesting to see if that helps him out. A little bit like he's uh, when Sean Raggett was at the club, Danny Cowley's name as well from at Lincoln, he's been able to utilise him in the best way that really works with his strengths. So I've got a little bit of faith that from that perspective, that might help a confidence player who maybe needs someone familiar to sort of settle him into the team.
1: Yeah, the one thing I'll say is the season that he was at Lincoln under Cowley, his goals per game record was better than Ivan Tony before COVID hit. So there is a player there based on the stats um, and to me. that And I'm surprised, um, as I said, um, when I, I did a piece with the Portsmouth News um, yesterday. I'm surprised maybe a championship club didn't take a, take a punt on him. I know Peterborough were looking at him a while back and I I, I could see him as somebody they would fit their mould. So I think Portsmouth have done very well to get him kind of unexpectedly. I think it come, kind of come out as a bolt of the blue to Coffman. Um, but by the sounds of it, Cowley's been after him for the last couple of months and finally um, Mark Robbins has relented and said he can go and uh, move on for a bit
0: do you want to predict how many goals he's going to score for us Glenn
1: <laughs> how many games you got left
0: oh, that's a good question I should have known the answer to that question before I asked the other one Fred do you know yeah he's looking it up yeah no so I mean look I'm excited I'm excited that we've got a new striker in and I think I mean he played the other day and obviously he hadn't even trained with the squad and he got 90 minutes which I think will probably help his confidence to go straight in he, you know, he did okay he had flashes looking all right Fred, do you know how many games it is now? Twenty-one games left. Twenty-one games.
1: I think if he emulates his Cobb form, I think he'll get. I think his career, his career when he's been playing regularly is about one in three. So I think he'll probably get you eight, ten goals minimum. And and it depends. Obviously, he, he's taken penalties for Cobb as well, but he isn't the first choice penalty taker for us. But he's definitely, you look at the goals he scored for that He scored some really, really good finishes where he's, where he's gone it. But he's just he's just not worked this season for him. He, he's had chances that have failed to him and he's just snatched at them, which maybe a couple of years back they go in. Um, but yeah, he's definitely someone who I think will, will improve you guys. And I genuinely hope he does well, because I, I do think he's kind of got a bit of the, the pantomime villain with wickoff fans is we always like to have a player that everyone gets on their case. Of, and I think he's probably got a bit of a, a harsh, harsh, harsh card off the coff fans. But no, I, I think he could definitely get double double figures for you guys. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if you got Sunderland on Saturday. I could see him scoring the winner there. Which is which is which delight, fans, because we don't particularly like Sunderland.
0: Now, I think both of us are sort of in trouble with them, aren't we? And uh, the various things that have happened in the past, right or wrongly. So, um, I think we're not not favoured too much. And both of us are the only two clubs which the police actually impose even further restrictions on. So, yeah, okay. Well, I'm, I'm just nice to hear the city of Coventry are backing us on Saturday. I'm sure Sunderland fans. So I've just be- it's unfortunate I've just been on a Sunderland podcast where I could have passed that information on. But yeah, hey, anyway, Glenn. Thank you so much for coming the podcast. It's been really appreciated your input. And where where can uh, Pompey fans find out all about Coventry with you guys?
1: Yeah, so our our podcast is called Sky Blues Fans TV. And we do pods normally twice a week. So we do um, a release on a Thursday and a Sunday. um, And we're also across social media, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and Facebook.
0: Awesome. And you never know. Maybe maybe uh, in the seasons to come, on we get promoted and we can actually have a chat preview in a game. But Glenn, thanks again, mate. Really appreciate it.
1: All the best for the rest of the season, lads.
0: Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Glenn, for coming on the show. Sounds promising to me, Freddie. Sounds like a player who has a promising ability to score goals.
2: Whenever I saw him on television beforehand, I did write Tyler Walker, but there are some things that made me think, is he the right striker for, uh, for what for what Danny Cowley needs? Because I listed off all the qualities that I think a complete forward would have. And Tyler Walker seems like another goal scorer to me. It has a high, high number of touches in the box, averaged 3.3 3 per 90 in the championship last season. Very good. Um, gets aggressive, gets into the right places high up the pitch. But his dribbling stats are quite low. Seven goals and two assists last season in the Championship is fairly good for if, if, if a players dropping down to League One anyway. But his pass, passing metrics aren't that excellent either. So you don't expect him to contribute to link a linker play that much unless he's, he's going to be used in a different way rather than just a penalty box striker. I don't know what it is. I just, I, I, I just think on, uh, immediately as soon as I heard the name Tyler Warcraft ball, oh yes, great signing, championship pedigree, even though he hasn't scored a ridiculous amount of goals, I think dropping down to League One would be quite good. But then you look at some of his advanced numbers and you think, oh, does he, does he add enough to the rest of the team? Uh, does he play up front with George Hurst? And if he does, do you, uh, you drop out Curtis or, Mar- or Harness for that? Which is another thing to consider. I don't know what you think. I think it's a... Does he fit properly? do
0: you think? I think that depends on if Pompey go out and get another striker in the window and how they play as well. Do you think that Curtis doing the more energetic running around, pushing, pressing is a better partner fit for a penalty box striker? Because Curtis can drop off him a little bit more and play around. Uh, can also sort of win the ball in the air as well. George Hurst up yeah, front Hurst can also him. do that.
2: Hurst isn't necessarily a cart horse talking about a striker, he, he, he's, mo- he's mobile enough, he's aggressive enough off the ball. True. I think, as a, as a striking partner, I think they could both fit. But do you think that, since we had John Marcus as more of a penalty box striker, do you think just adding Ty Walker just would, that would create similar problems?
0: Yeah, potentially. But if he's a striker, he's a penny book striker, Freddie with pedigree, who will finish chances he's given, and even so, some sort of more half chances, potentially then it could be a good signing because probably you do need someone with that ability to put the ball away. So, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I do know what you mean. Maybe we need a more complete player. But at this level, you really just need somebody who can have the right movement, make the right runs, create chances of that and be able to finish them in the box. All right, so let's get on to one of my favourite away days in the EFL, which we're all going to which is of course Sunderland because it's situated right next to Newcastle, which is a great place to go on a night out. But regardless of that, probably coming to the game against Sunderland, who are always a tricky opposition. It's always a hard game away at, this, at the Stadium of light. You do think that maybe some of the Pompey players could help raise their performances. This is a team that we like to play against. This is a team we beat four now earlier in the season under those awful, dreadful conditions. But Lee Johnson's team are looking very good. In fact, they create for expected goals, I think Freddie, from I looked at Okta earlier on, but I think they were literally near the top in, in uh, shots created, um, as well as XG. So they are a difficult team to play against for us, but being defensively solid, can't, there's not always the biggest problem. Sunderland are a, player, a team that, under Lee Johnson, Streaky Lee, as he's uh, sometimes spoken about as well, have, like Pompey, struggled this so far in 2022. They haven't won a game yet. They drew away at Wickham. That's a good result, to be fair. They lost to Lincoln at home after getting a player sent off, 3-1. And then they went on again and drew away at Accrington Stanley when Accrington went down to 10 men as well. So it's been a bit of a stuttering start for Lee Johnson in 2022. As a team, they like to keep hold of the ball. They like to cycle it. Um, they're very good at scoring chances and we'll, we'll look at the obvious player to speak about in a second first, Freddie, because Stuart up front has been absolutely dynamite. If you're talking about a striker who finishes chances off and can lead the line for them, what do you think there? About 18 goals in League One? What are your thoughts on Stuart?
2: A uh, very good player. <laughs> and, it, and it's not, uh, and like so many strikers, it's not just the goal record, it's the types of goals he scores. Head, uh, head, headers, one-on-ones, Shots outside the box, it's all of it. All of it. And that and that makes you worried whenever whenever an opposition team has a play like that, you think, oh, it's, it's always going to be very difficult. And they have quality in the center of in center of midfield. I've always rated Lyndon Gooch and Elliot Embleton. Both of them can control the ball really well and put in some key passes. Carl Winchester's there, and he's rock solid. Either either as more of a defensive player can win those tackles very well. Yeah. Luke Nine, I like.
0: I was gonna Fred, I was gonna chop to in here and say that the player that I spoke to that I was asked which Sunderland player was I concerned about or or to watch about. And um, for me, Dennis Serkin is a really good player at left back. I'm not surprised they're trying to give us another one of their left backs to open up some space in their squad. 19 years old, likes to dribble, very quick going forward. He's very solid defensively as well. He'll try and push on a little bit and stop Marlon Romeo from getting forward. I do think that if we get into a situation like against AFC Wimbledon, where our wing-backs end up dropping back into what is basically a back five, allowing Sunderland to get on the ball, to press forward, to keep retaining possessions, to sort of start cycling it in the Pompey half. We're in for quite a long, long old game, and S-Pompey can find a goal on the counter-attack in that situation. So for me, it's going to be a game where little things, like the young Sunderland left-back, Serkin, could be a real key battle between him and Romeo for position on the pitch which sort of can help dictate where the teams end up lying up and um, where most of the play happens during the game.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's obviously very hard for Pompey to control games away from home but they can't They can't let Sunderland turn the 3-5-2 into a back five. They simply can't because then the midfield just gets very isolated and Pompey can't win those win those balls high up the pitch and capitalise on those chances which they do so very well it just takes all the strengths away. So they've got to try and frustrate Sunderland as much as possible and then have that, that clinical edge at the, at the end of some of their lovely play that they do. Cause we, we've seen it before. H- Harness and have put together some lovely passes going forward when they win the ball at the field. And you just want somebody on the end of it to convert it sometimes. Um, I still think it's a far, cry, a far cry from K jackets football where, the team just sat back on the counter, focused on crossing. Whenever you get frustrated about this, Danny Carlos, I just watch some of the highlights from those k jacket games, then you think, oh, even with half a team, you still see a project there, don't you? Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be very difficult. Um, so, it, it was... The weird thing about the four the four nil was that Sunderland were just terrible. <laughs> it, 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 Sunderland were completely awful in that game. No player had a good game. One of their fans said that Luke O'Neill had his worst game in a Sunderland shirt against against Pompey at Fratton. Then, and when that happens, it's always hard to judge. And then they have the weather conditions on top of that as well, which won't happen again probably. So yeah, it's very difficult. I think. And Pompey just Pompey just have to, like we said win those balls high at the pitch, capitalise on those chances and actually convert on some on, on some of the service that they actually that they actually get.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to be important. For people who don't know Sunderland play a 4 2 one formation, I feel like I've um, previewed Sunderland to death in the times of the leagues that we've been in the years. Sorry, we've been in this league with them. don't know how many times we've played in the last three years, but it's got to be up there uh, with teams we've played generally. But they're a decent team. Luke and I, yeah, all right, you know, decent enough. Dan Neal looks decent in the centre for them as well. Yeah, there's not really much to say there but they're a pretty good all-round team. I think what the one thing they will try and do is throw the ball through to Stewart. They like to play through balls. They once they've got an opening, they like to try and move teams around quite a lot and then find that ball, the through ball. Uh, probably need to be aware of those balls coming through, but not sit back to try and prevent that. It's gonna be a tricky test, but Fred, let's get to the end of the podcast. Be me and you. We've, we've done pretty well for Andy here, wouldn't you say?
2: Yeah, yeah, not so bad, considering, considering literally every time every time Hugh's talking, I'm coughing the guts up. So I think we've done all right, haven't we?
0: Yeah, we've done an all right job. Let us know if we haven't. I'm joking around. Please don't. Don't destroy our confidence. But let's get into this meaty bit then. Let's talk about score prediction time. Freddie Webb, what is your score prediction for the game on Saturday away at the Stadium of Shire?
2: Tough one again, but based on based on nothing but optimism and the fact that um that we're travelling hundreds of miles to go and watch them, <laughs> I'm going to predict the two we're two one ports of win with Tyler Walker getting a brace and then we're going to enjoy the night out fully afterwards.
0: I hope you're right, Freddie. I I sort of think this is going to be a two one loss. Um, I know it's not very positive, everybody on the podcast, and it's a marginal thing, listeners, but. I'm going to go with my head here. My heart says, one-nil Pompey. A dogged display. We hit him on the counter-attack. We grab a goal. You know, Walker gets one. And then suddenly, you think, don't sit back. It just works. And somehow, we managed to scrape a one-nil. But honestly, if my head's talking, look at the two teams line up. Sunderland a very good team. And I think they've got a very good chance of being promoted this season as well. So yeah, I'm going to go with a 2-1 loss, unfortunately. Well, let's hope I'm wrong and Freddie's right. I know Andy did message in to say 7-2, Sunderland, which I thought was out of order. He's never predicted a loss in the podcast before and he just throws in a 7-2 loss out there. Thanks for the contribution, Andy. Appreciate it. But <laughs> Freddie, it's been great having you on the podcast.
2: Always a pleasure, Hugh. It's, uh, it's a pleasure as always. Thank you.
0: Nice one. And until next time,